You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you once again on our weekly show. If you're joining us live on this Wednesday night, thank you so much for joining us. We have a couple of special guests, a big show to get to. We're going to get to our special guest in just one, our first special guest of, of two this week in just a second. John Sheeran, my co-host, is with us as always. John, how you doing this week, bud? I'm feeling refreshed, had a much-needed bye week, and we definitely needed to get to get through the show. So let's let's get right into it, man. Yeah, you know, so I'm already seeing comments in our live chat. What are what are we going to talk about this week? Because the Bengals are 0 and 8. You know, how much are they going to talk about? How much they suck this year? All that good stuff. Well, fortunately for us, we have been approached by a great figurehead in uh, professional sports and North American professional sports, Jim Quinn. Uh, attorney and now author. He has written a new book. It's titled, for those of you who are joining us via video, I've got it here, Don't Be Afraid to Win, How Free Agency Changed the Business of Pro Sports. Free agency is always a hot topic in the NFL and with the Cincinnati Bengals. So we thought, why not bring in Mr. Quinn to join us? And he is joining us on the phone here. Mr. Quinn, how are you, sir? I'm great. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making the time to talk to us. I, I told you before we started the show that I've read portions of the book. Very, very entertaining, especially I, I'm a history major, poli-sci major, was pre-law for a little bit. So the, the historical aspects of everything, um, kind of interesting. Before we kind of jump into more specific questions, maybe give us an overview of the book, why you decided to write it, especially at this point in time. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I thought that uh, the the whole story of uh, how free agency came about with different sports was something that uh, people uh, ought to know about. Uh, Certainly, you know, going back to my contemporaries, we lived it in the uh, 70s and 80s and up through the 90s. But for a lot of the fans today, they just look at the, the system as it is and says, "Okay, this is how it is. and I guess this is how it's going to be. And uh, I thought it'd be nice for people to know how it got to be uh, the way it is, uh, particularly in football, because of uh, probably all the different fights we had in in obtaining free agency for players. By far, the toughest was in football, not surprisingly, uh, given the the intransigence, arrogance, and greed of the NFL owners. Yeah, you mentioned that in your book, especially the, you know, the, the wealth disparity between owners and players, especially when the thought, the idea of free agency was kind of, um, you know, coming about, I thought it was very interesting. You know, I I had definitely known your name and in researching before reading the book, but you know, for those, for our listeners who don't know, Jim was integral in 
bringing, you know, developing free agency as what it is today. He's been involved in the CBA negotiations during the 2011 lockout. So a lot of interesting stuff in this book. Jim, I kind of want to go back to maybe the beginning portions of free agency. You know, it's much different now than it was then. Maybe talk a little bit about your experiences and how it began to develop, especially in the NFL. You know, I know in the early days there was Plan B free agency, which was kind of a, a weird, <laughs> a weird uh, yeah. version well, of free agency. Free agency at all. It was uh, it was what we called farce. Free right. Agency. Right. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, it all started really uh, with basketball and, and baseball in the early with lawsuits. Uh, the Kurt Flood case and baseball ultimately led to a, although that was unsuccessful, it led to a arbitration. Uh, that Marvin Miller, uh, the head of the baseball players, uh, was able to orchestrate. And in basketball, which is how I got involved, we brought a lawsuit on behalf of Oscar Robertson and Bill Bradley and other stars in the uh, in the uh, in the NBA. And uh, we were able to uh, first crack open the concept of free agency. Uh, football uh, also uh, had brought a lawsuit. And was successful, but then uh, for reasons that are um, difficult to explain, frankly, they bargained a lot of the issues away. And it wasn't until uh, the late 1980s in football that when Gene Upshaw took over as the head of the union, Upshaw, of course, as uh, a famous uh, all-time great uh, left guard of the Oakland Raiders, but more importantly, a great union leader uh, took the chance of fighting against the richest and uh, most intransigent group of owners in the history of the world, i.e. the NFL owners, uh, and took them to court. And we um, were fighting something called Plan B. Plan B was a farce, basically, that uh, simply meant that uh, the clubs could uh, reserve uh, the rights to the best players on the team, and then they would allow... Uh, players that they were otherwise going to be cut, they would allow them to be free agents, which is, of course, silly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we attacked that plan B as part of the lawsuit. And we had a four-month jury trial in Minneapolis in front of uh, an all-female jury uh, that uh, eventually voted for the players. And in fact, the title of the book, Don't Be Afraid to Win, comes out of... Uh, when I got up to do the closing argument in that in that case, yeah. uh, Gene Upshaw leaned over and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Quinn, don't be afraid to win. <laughs> That's where the, the title came from. Uh, and, you know, initially, uh, free agency uh, was uh, in its infancy, in, infancy in, in football in, in the 90s. Uh, and uh, we fought tooth and nail to expand it over time. Um, and there have been trade-offs, but the system has worked reasonably well. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the big the big fight, frankly, uh, in the last round with the lockout wasn't really over free agency, although that was part of it. Uh, the real focus was over uh, the split of the revenues between the players and, and the owners, uh, and uh, they locked us out uh, because uh, as rich as they were, they wanted more. Uh, ultimately, there was a settlement that uh, is about to uh, end in another year or so, and I suspect there may be another fight. 
So, Jim, that's kind of how it started, but, started, but like, now it's evolved, like, now it's evolved into evolved something that I think that not a lot of people expected it to become. become. And, you know, and, you know and, now the salary you know, cap is going up going about $10 million every single year, specifically with the NFL. And it's not always the teams that spend the most that end up successful at the end of the year, but it's the teams who spend the most wisely. And there was a quote that I saved from a while ago. I didn't know when I was going to be able to use it, but I guess I can use it now. And it was a reporter for the Giants who basically said uh, he got this information from you know someone who understands the cap like yourself. He said teams don't worry about the salary cap; it can always be manipulated. They worry about real cap. Can you kind of expand upon what that means, particularly to Bengals fans? who maybe don't quite understand why their team specifically doesn't attack free agency like other teams. And what is really the key for an NFL team in terms of attacking free agency and attacking the salary cap? Well, you know, uh, as, as you know, Mike Brown has been the, uh, the owner of the Bengals for low these uh, many decades. And uh, my experience with Mike over time was he was one of the most anti-player uh, owners uh, in all of uh, in all of the NFL by far, uh, and I don't think a lot of that's changed. You know, the, the the reality is, free agency allows teams who are well managed and know what they're doing uh, to acquire players on the free agent market. Yes, they have to spend a few bucks, but as you just said, uh, the salary cap can be easily manipulated because of uh, the way the bonus system works. Uh, because bonuses are spread out over over the number of years of the contract, so uh, the, the salary cap in the NFL is actually quite soft. Uh, it's not as hard as people think it is, and any smart general manager can get around it. Uh, and it really has to do with um, whether or not a you really care about improving the team, and b whether or not you have uh, people in place who know what they're doing. Uh, you know, the, you look at the, the Patriots, and I don't have to tell you how successful they've been. Uh, it's driven me crazy for the last decade or more. Uh, but the reality is they don't have one of the highest uh, salary uh, salaries in the league by far. But they know what they're doing, and they care about winning. Uh, I'm not so sure, sadly, that that's the case in Cincinnati. Talking with Jim Quinn, he is the he is an attorney and author. Don't be afraid to win. How free agency changed the business of pro sports is his new book. Really cool read. Uh, kind of gives a historical perspective and and lays some some groundwork potentially for some other uh, issues with free agency collective bargaining agreement that may be coming down the pike, particularly as it pertains to the NFL. Jim, on that front. You know, you were there and you were instrumental in the the way free agency was formed in the NFL. You were there in the 2011 lockout. Now the CBA is set to expire here in the near future in the NFL. Um, how do you see stuff like, how do you see that whole situation playing out and how it affects free agency potentially going forward? Well, I think that, like, once again, uh, the There'll be a number of issues that will be on the forefront. Uh, this, the uh, split of revenues will uh, inevitably be a, a centerpiece, as will the commissioner's uh, power to discipline players for off uh, on non-field activities. Uh, he hasn't done a great job of that so far, but he insists on 
keeping the that power, even though all the other commissioners have uh, long since given that up. Uh, and um, those are going to be critical issues, as are the health and safety issues. I don't think at this stage the NFL owners, as greedy and arrogant as they are, uh, are going to make a, a run at trying to change free agency in any meaningful way. It's so ingrained in the system. And frankly, the fans love it. The fans, you know, love the idea that they can uh, get new players, not just through the draft, because as the draft has some importance, but frankly, once you get past the first round, the rest of it is, uh, is much less important. And the, the way you're going to improve your team is, particularly in football, is through the uh, competent uh, uh, way that you deal with free agency in acquiring players, as long as you don't, you're going to have to spend a few bucks and not be cheap. Yeah, so kind of, kind of piggybacking off of that, in your professional opinion, and I kind of, I kind of think I know the answer to this, but I just kind of want to hear from from you yourself. What with, with these next CBA ne- negotiations for the next one that comes out in twenty twenty one? What do you think is the more likely um, addition to that? A seventeen game schedule or fully guaranteed contracts for players? A seventeen game schedule is probably more likely. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, fight like crazy against fully guaranteed contracts, yeah. and the reason is because there are so many injuries, uh, and uh, if you fully guaranteed all the contracts, uh, you would uh, you 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 would then begin to have a problem with running up. Again. You, it would make manipulating the salary cap much more difficult. Jim, I'm, I'm I'm curious your thoughts on. The, the XFL league that's going to be starting up or is attempting to start up in one of the chapters of your book, which I found incredibly entertaining, you go back and you detail the USFL um, and, yes. and Donald Trump's involvement and, and you know, all, all of that. I, I found that to be an incredibly interesting read. Um, I'm curious your thoughts based on that experience. Obviously, that's 30 years ago. And, and it's a different landscape now, but I mean, I'm sure there's similar concerns, similar struggles, all of that has to be in play here. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you think about the viability of, the, of a league like that, especially with one just folding recently. Uh, look, I think that, that the USFL uh, had its moment. And frankly, if Trump hadn't screwed it up, uh, it probably would still be playing today. Uh, the, the, the notion of playing at a reasonably high level of good, solid football uh, in the spring when you're not directly competing with the NFL um, is a viable notion. It's still viable today. The issue is, you know, you're going to have to obtain the talent that people want to watch. Yeah. USFL, by, this, by their third year, they had a hell of a lot of good players playing in the USFL, yep. many of whom ended up being stars in the, in the NFL, including, among others, Reggie White and Jim Kelly, and I can go on. Uh, the, there was and, uh, Mike Lozier, an enormous number of players who were successful in the NFL. Uh, and they they had a good business plan. Uh, if, if the XFL or some other uh, entity follows a simple business plan, attracts the right kind of talent, and plays at a time they're not playing head against the NFL. People love football. So they'll watch it 
365 days a year. So, yeah, they could make it. Yeah. Jim, before we uh, before we get you out of here, th- thank you again for your time, by the way. Um, I, I'm, sure. we, we would be remiss if we did not ask for a, a Mike Brown or a Cincinnati Bengals story. I'm sure in your throughout your illustrious career, your lengthy career in dealing with the NFL, I'm sure you've dealt with Paul Brown. I'm sure you've dealt with Mike Brown on some level, either something that's going to give us a laugh, especially in an 0-8 season here, uh, or something that will corroborate maybe some of our beliefs about the team in the front office. We would like to hear something if you're able to give us something. Well, I, I guess the one memory I have, uh, and this was back when we were uh, uh, fighting about free agency early on, and we actually won the first case, uh, and we're trying to uh, reach a settlement that would allow for free agency and with some kind of a salary cap. And I remember being in uh, in a in conference room in the airport in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, and Mike Brown was one of the owners who was on their negotiating committee. And, uh, you know, there were a number of difficult owners, including Al Davis, uh, who was another superstar, a uh, difficult person. Uh, but we were sitting around in the room uh, trying to debate diff- different issues. And at, at, at some point, even though they had already, we had already won the case, Mike Brown shook his head, looked at Gene Upshaw and me and said, I'm never, ever going to agree to this. Never. I think it's wrong. I think I should have control over my players forever. And I remember looking at Upshaw saying, this guy's crazy. Yep. And that that is, uh, at least from what I know, that is definitely a learned, uh, a learned emotion from his father. His father was very, very much a control, uh, a, a controller of his players as well. Again, the book is Don't Be Afraid to Win, How Free Agency Changed the Business of Pro Sports. Excellent read. I, I find it incredibly entertaining. Again, I haven't, I haven't read every single word of it, but I've read, uh, you know, quite a bit of it, Jim. I, just from a historical perspective, to learn what you have done and not only the NFL, but the other sports leagues, you have led a very interesting and successful career, sir. We thank you for your time. Just before uh, we say goodbye to you, how can our listeners get your book? Where can they find it? All that good stuff. Sure. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever good books are sold. The easiest thing is just to go online and, order it uh, online and it'll be there be shipped in two days and you can have it and have fun and enjoy it Uh, i'm glad you enjoyed the book so far uh and i think once you've read all of it you'll have liked it that much more yeah it really is excellent and i you know i i'm glad that i got a copy of it and uh like i said very entertaining read and I'm, i'm looking forward to finishing it but thank you so much for your time We'll uh, we'll definitely keep promoting your book, and um, we'd love to have you back on sometime if you if you're if you're open to it. Sure, sure, absolutely. Good talking to you guys. All right, thank you, sir. That was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, That was Jim Quinn, attorney and 
now published author, Don't Be Afraid to Win, again, is the book. The interview is brought to us by Casa Bella Realty Group, the Southern California real estate specialists. They have a website, casabellarealtygroup.com. You can go there, get Southern California real estate information. If you are in the area, if you're looking to relocate, what have you, go to their website and get some information there. Dude, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I guess I find it a little more because you don't you don't have a copy of the book, John. Um, Wait, do you so, keep rubbing that in, by the way? I know, but I don't know. You're a history guy. You were more you were more econ, but I, I don't know. Just the historical perspective. I how I found it, it it kind of is like it reads, and I mean this complimentary. I, you know, it reads like. You're sitting down with a guy and you ask him, what was it like? You're having a couple of cocktails and you ask a guy who has 30, 40 years of experience in professional sports, in the courtrooms, battling it out with iconic people. Um, you have a couple of cocktails and you get a very well-written, but a somewhat unfiltered version of things. I think it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, to filter out all the BS about all that yeah, stuff. That, that's that's what I'm about. And like, I I would love to learn more about all that stuff because, you know, like, kind of like how we alluded to, us Bengals fans are very unfamiliar with the concept of quality free agency. So to learn anything more about that, it's it's fun. It's it's fun not not being the smartest guy in the room for once. So I'm definitely appreciative of that. Well, you you're definitely the you are you are the second smartest guy on the show. So um it's a distinction I take very proudly. So <laughs> uh well that was Jim Quinn. Go get the book guys. Seriously it's I think it's like twenty five bucks or something. Um you know it's it's very interesting. And it's not, you know, we focused on the NFL with him obviously this being a Bengals podcast, but um you know, it talks about stuff with hockey, his his work with the hockey, National Hockey League, the NBA, um, a lot of big names in there, a lot of owners. Um, there is a the, the this is a, a book with opinions, so uh, be be aware of that. But um, I, I found it to be really a really cool read. So our thanks to him. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. You can get it on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on Cincy Jungle. And as I teased last week, I believe we have now been approved for iHeartRadio. I looked on iHeartRadio's website, and our webs our uh, podcast, the Cincy Jungle podcast, is there. So if you want to get, if that's how you prefer to get your podcast, go to iHeartRadio, and the Cincy Jungle podcast will be there. And that has our show. It has Matt Minutes, Minix uh, Chalk Talk. It has Orange is the New Black couple episodes of uh sorry if i spit when i speak with dr hoji smoji and daddy o mcduke so uh and john sharon john sharon's on that show too he's all over the place man uh but yeah you can get it there you can get it to all those places so get it how you can subscribe leave a review hopefully a positive one thanks for listening yeah so let's transition from topic of free agency to a potential free agent for the Bengals, and that's aj green um, Zach Taylor, right before Wednesday's practice, talked with the media, said that AJ is likely to play this week, or he's he's planning on playing, and he was planning on practicing for Wednesday's practice. And as it turns out, Wednesday practice went and gone, and AJ did not go. Apparently, he had a setback with some ankle swelling, which, you know, for being three months into a sprained ankle, it's kind of weird to see swelling at this late, late stage of the recovery. But 
it is it is interesting because you know as as we are well accustomed to with with Bengals injuries, they're not normally traditional or always quick recovery. <laughs> we've we've seen that with Cordy Glenn as well, along with AJ this year. But I, I just think it it kind of starts a conversation, right? You know, the Bengals are are zero and eight now, and you know it's been so long since AJ has played. And you would think that he would be back at this point by now. And then there was just another setback to go through. And it's kind of starting to think like, you know, with him and, and the Cordy situation, like, I, I, it's, not the, it's not the area that I was going to play on starting, but it's it, it's occupying my brain right now. Is, is this, are we seeing maybe potentially with a, with a guy who's still in a contract year who would like to be signed under a contract or enter free agency or whatever, is this a guy kind of making a business decision right now with a rookie head coach and a, an uncertain future and an uncertain, you know, overall feel of where the organization is, or is he just really just not ready to go yet? Yet. Here I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Are you ready? I'm gonna ride the fence, my friend. I'm gonna ride ride the fence here. I think it's a little bit of both. I really do. I think I, I there was a report, I believe, from Tom Pelissaro of NFL.com who said, you know, AJ practiced earlier this week and then. Uh, you know, on Wednesday when he was supposed to suit up, the swelling kind of hit after doing a workout and he didn't want to suit back up. He's now day to day. So I do think there's something there. I think, you know, but, and I think quite honestly, he's pushing it. And this, I think the Bengals understated how serious this issue was. Maybe they didn't know, maybe they didn't diagnose it correctly, blah, blah, blah. But I don't. I don't think anybody really foresaw how serious this this actually was, and maybe this should have been a IR return at a minimum. It should have been maybe an IR just for the year, call it a wash. Um, I just you know, and you know, you know that guy. He's very athletic. He cuts the. He's not only is he very athletic, and he he can cut a lot because of his athleticism, but he does cut a lot given the position he plays. So that's gonna that's gonna be hard on your ankle after coming off of surgery. So I do, and knowing AJ too, he's not a, he doesn't seem to be a head game guy, right? I mean, if he's, he wants to play, he's going to play. And if he's well enough to play, he's going to do it. And you can, you saw when he had that injury occur in training camp, how frustrated he was, right? He was throwing his helmet. He was so upset. He wanted to be back out there. He knew it was probably something somewhat severe and, you know that's who he is. So, I, I, I think there, there is. I think it's mostly that. I think it's mostly yeah. He, he experienced swelling. He's not going to risk it. He is looking for a, a one last big contract, and he's not going to do it. I do think that if the Bengals were in the middle of a playoff push, he'd probably fight through it a little bit more harder than if they were zero and eight. Uh, you know. I, I don't want that's not me questioning his effort. I just think that's maybe natural human emotion in a situation like this. But, uh, and that's not me questioning anything about the guy. But I, I, I'm kind of feeling like maybe there'd be a little bit more urgency if the team wasn't 0 8. Oh, absolutely. And, and if, if this coaching staff showed any promise of any sign of, of competence in that, but like you said, like AJ doesn't play head games, and I don't think he could even if he wanted to. He's just the most straightforward, no, no BS kind of guy. If he wants to play, he'll play. But he also knows his worth, and he, and he knows and that that was something that he said. You know, I don't want to be tagged, and I want to be fairly competent, which is completely understandable and reasonable because he has all the leverage in these ongoing negotiations right now. 
And I know people are saying, you know, m- maybe if he wasn't being lowballed right now or, or if the go- negotiations hadn't stalled, maybe that ankle is a little bit better and he, he would work his way back in now. But at the end of the day, he 100% throughout this process, he said he wasn't going to rush it. And like you said, you know, the, the, the team did its normal spin doctor and push it as some, some type of non-serious issue that is obviously more serious than we were initially led to believe. It's a high ankle sprain and those things take time. And right now with this entire situation kind of funneling into what it is right now, and it's the no innate team with, with a coaching staff that has a lot to prove and being in a contract year, it's, it's taking it as slow as it could be expected to. So at the end of the day, AJ is who he is and he's not going to, you know, play these mind games or whatever, but he's going to do what is smart for AJ, despite him, you know, having this perception of being a team guy, he's not going to rush back and ruin his chances at a, at a third contract, especially in a year that's basically lost. I, like, like you said, I don't think he doesn't want to play. He absolutely does want to play. And he wants to help his team out and all that and all that stuff. But if his ankle's not right, his ankle's not right. And I, I think that's just about as straightforward as you can get. Yep. Uh, do you think it's wise given the news that, he experienced some swelling and he's now day to day. The Bengals were all but set that he's going to play against the Ravens and, and maybe, and likely as they got more and more news on this towards the beginning part of the injury, they probably circled the first game after the buy and said, okay, this is, this is what we're going to do last half of the season. Who knows? Maybe, you know, first couple of weeks, they, they said maybe we're competitive and that's, you know, he'll, he'll give us a last half of the season push. Ha, as we sit here now, but, um, I think they circled that, but do you I mean do you think it's even a a wise decision for him to play if he's still experiencing swellness, uh, swelling, swellness, geez, uh, swelling, <laughs> uh, swelling? You know, after after a practice that seemed, I think it was a full for his basically his first full go practice, um, he's experiencing swelling. Yeah, like there's just more logic into just shutting down AJ than there is putting him back out there on a team that has no wins right now and is not competing for the playoffs, like. At the end of the day, if, if they're thinking long-term with AJ and they want him around here, there's little point in playing him now other than just giving Ryan Finley a fair chance, which is fair. If, if they do want to see what he has, having AJ out there would give them a better idea of what Ryan Finley is with all the weapons around him. But at the end of the day, this team isn't going anywhere this year. And that's this is a conversation that, that they're going to probably have to have with Jonah Williams, who isn't slated to come back until at the very earliest the first week of December. By then, the Bengals could be like 0-12 at that point. Do you really want to bring out your first-round pick into four basically meaningless games? So it's all about you know seeing maybe how he is with a quarterback that they could want to further invest in, in themselves. But there's more logic in just shutting him down this year if he's not going to be able to get 100% in time for them to do really anything but just evaluate the rest of the roster. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned earlier the 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 quote unquote business decision. I think the Bengals are making a business decision by still keeping him in the conversation of playing the second half of the season. And what I mean by that is now they've made a quarterback change. They are in this quote unquote evaluation mode as they've put it. And they need to see what this rookie quarterback has, and they need to see what he has with A.J. Green on the field, and they need to see what A.J. Green has left in the tank coming off another injury and if they want to make another heavy investment in him, which I think they do, and I think they will. But all of these are business decisions, I think, by the coaching staff and management, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. Like, like AJ again. He's not stupid. Like, he wants to play, but he's not going to risk risk it all for a couple of meaningless games and further set back his health issues. Like, there's a perception about him now 
that he's not not watched, but he's very very much injury prone, and I don't think that's something that that you know sets sits well with him. You know, as he trains and as he progresses, and as he now enters his thirties, he he wants to have another big payday, and he knows the place that is most likely to give that to him is Cincinnati. So he's not going to risk it all on, on a couple of of meaningless games. But at the same time, he is AJ and he's a gamer and he wants to play out there and especially who wants to give his new quarterback a chance to look good. So, yeah, I I think it makes perfect sense, like you said, for it to be kind of both reasons. He's not going to force it back if he's not 100 percent. If he feels even the slightest swelling or setback with that ankle, he's not going to keep pushing when they're 0-8. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is where we're at. Yep. Uh, We're going to get to some more news and notes on the injury report here in just a second. I just want to let folks know that aside from having uh, author and attorney Jim Quinn earlier in the episode on the program this week, we also have Jacob Luck from SB Nation's Baltimore Beatdown to help us talk about the upcoming Week 10 game. So he'll be joining us in about five minutes to uh to talk about that so excited to have him if, if you remember jacob joined us a few months back after we kind of did a a pre-training camp preview of all the afc north teams so um he's probably one of the only guys who's super happy about how the te- how the season has played out so far for for uh the division but um just some more news and notes here as we sit here midweek in terms of uh, you know, guys who didn't practice, guys who did. Uh, Cordy Glenn, full practice. Darquez Denard, full practice. Car- uh, Carl Lawson, full practice. He's been dealing with a hamstring inj- injury. And John Miller, after suffering a groin injury, back at practice. So full pr- practice as of Wednesday. Um, so that is uh, – this is one of the healthiest the team has has been this as of this year, Tyler Eifert, he's usually get that midweek rest. He didn't practice as of Wednesday. Uh, as we mentioned, Green practiced earlier in the week and didn't practice Wednesday. Drake Kirkpatrick suffering a knee injury, did not practice, and neither did Alex Redmond. Um, your thoughts on Glenn? I mean, I, it seems to be an ongoing saga, but uh, your thoughts on him, especially getting a full practice in this uh, this Wednesday? Yeah, I'm just waiting for him to not practice at this point. Because it's just kind of the expectation, I guess, um, with, with this team, with this season, you would expect another setback. But if it doesn't happen, I would assume he plays. And I know that Andre Smith came back uh, in week eight, and it was clear to play, but ended up not playing. John Jerry got the start, so maybe that's kind of the the, the same role that they take with Glenn. I don't know if they throw him out there immediately if he's ready to go. Um, if he is, and after everything that 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 both sides have been through, I would I would hope he he shows something and, and puts some puts some tape on this year, but. You know, if he does practice the next two days, I I think that's less likely than him <laughs> experiencing another setback. But um, I, I want to see him play. I want to see, you know, how, how he's come back from this concussion and and just give Ryan Finley the best chance to, you know, throw some passes down the field. Yeah, this, this is another one of those supposed uh, business decisions maybe that, uh, you know, the team needs to see that, number one, he's re- – Whatever the situation is, you know, I think I think we tend to side with the player, especially when dealing with a, a basically a brain injury. Um, but there are some rumblings, you know, we've heard Jim Lapham say some not so flattering things about Cordy Glenn and his attitude. And um, he's kind of been up and down in terms of his play since he's been here. So I think, you know, this is this is another business decision in this quote unquote evaluation process Uh that the team needs to see where his 
I hit pardon the pun, where his head's at in terms of oh, playing. Boo. I know, terrible. Uh, you know, what his effectiveness is and if he's going to be a long-term guy on this offensive line with Jonah Williams coming back, whether it's late this year, probably more likely next year. Um, you know, it's it's all part of the – all part of the what they need to do. So uh, I am interested and will be watching how he performs this Sunday for sure. It's just it's just like it's a delicate situation for me because at, at, at one at one end you would want to see Glenn out there and you would you would hope that he's not you know faking anything or, or anything like that. But then you see situations going on with the Jets and the Washington Football Team where you have Trent Williams suing like the Redskins for. Um, not not treating his his uh, his cancer as anything serious and right. something is minor than Kalichi uh, 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 Assembly, excuse me, um, having his injury issues and the Jets basically ignoring that. So you always have to, in my opinion, you always have to take the player side first before any tangible information comes out because at the end of the day, these are like Jim said, you know, NFL owners are not the exactly the most generous guys. They're pretty greedy human beings who like a lot of control over players. So. Yes, it's easy to get mad at Glenn, but at the same time, these are injuries. These are serious issues, and sometimes the information that we get is not always the most accurate one because it is the team that is disposing that information. So, you know, hopefully Glenn's all right, but at the same time, you you would like to see him out there. Yep, but that is the practice report going forward here. Uh, We'll see exactly who suits up. Namely, the most interesting, of course, is Glenn and Green. So we'll see who suits up here as the Bengals host the Ravens coming up here on Sunday in week 10. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show and the other shows in the Cincy Jungle podcast network or podcast channel rather you can get it on itunes stitcher spotify google play now on iHeartRadio. you can also get our stuff on youtube so uh you can subscribe and, and check out the videos there as well as all of our content is on cincyjungle.com so check it out there uh we have a special another special guest tonight and he is joining us once again on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. It's Jacob Jacob Locke, right? Luke, actually. Luke, that's right. Oh, I knew it was Locke. It's all good. It's tough, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, joining us here to preview Week Ten. How are you, man? You got to be your your team's on top of the division. You got to be you got to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, I'm good, guys. It's uh, been a while since we last talked. A lot has happened. Uh, my team's looked pretty good the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know you guys are off to a rough start, so uh, it's uh, interesting circumstances we're meeting in again here, but uh, it's good to hear your voices. Yeah, thanks for coming back on. And for those who are un- unfamiliar, Jake is with Baltimore Beatdown, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. Let's just kind of get to it. I, You know, a couple of weeks ago, if you were to have asked me my thoughts on the AFC North as a whole – I would have said largely disappointing. Baltimore seems like they're okay to pretty good. Pittsburgh is a wreck because of their quarterback situation. Obviously, the Bengals are a dumpster fire. And one could argue, even though that they have more wins than the Bengals, Cleveland is a bigger dumpster fire than the Bengals. Now, a couple weeks later, Baltimore has that nice win over New England. I don't know. Overall kind of thoughts on the status of this team and and really how good they can be. You know, it's interesting. I think they're still kind of like my thoughts aren't totally changed after their win on Sunday night. I still think they're a very 
good a team. I don't know if they're quite the great team that uh, some people are making them out to be. I think that New England defense was maybe a little overrated. And we're a tad bit exposed by Ravens offense has been very good. Um, but what I have, I have been pleasantly surprised by in the past couple of weeks is the Ravens defense really turning things around. You know, they got off to a rough start. Um, Kyler Murray, you know, made them look, you know, kind of foolish with some big plays in that week two game, even though they got a win. Pat Mahomes tore them apart. Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield, to a certain extent, tore them apart. So it was looking rough through the first couple of weeks there for the defense, which uh, I wasn't optimistic they were going to be great, but I thought they had a chance to be good. And through those first four weeks, man, it did not look good at all. But they made some signings, some new additions and some trades that have really helped kind of change their fortunes, at least in the sense that they're getting more turnovers. So they're looking better. The offense is uh, it's looked good all year. And so uh, I think they're a very good team. They're a young team. Um, and whether they can go the distance, I'm not totally sure about that, but, uh, that was a big win on Sunday night for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you put 37 points on the defense, I guess you have the tendency to call them overrated, but that was like, I, I don't think we, as just people who follow the NFL should under, you know, un, we should definitely appreciate what that Ravens def, Ravens offense did against the Patriots defense. But at the same time, like, like Bill Belichick, like even said leading up, we don't have anybody who can emulate what Lamar Jackson does as a quarterback in running that offense. And that essentially is what we saw is what we saw on Sunday and how they put up 37 points. So what has really been like the biggest, you know, development or change in that offense and with Lamar specifically that has allowed him to just grow, not only just as a runner, but as a passer too. like, has it been just Greg Romans, you know, continuing evolving out that offense or has been critical steps that Lamar himself has taken. I'm going to be lazy and say it's a combination of a ton of different things. I think Roman has done a fantastic job since taking over as the offensive coordinator back in the offseason. Uh, he's shown an ability to maximize talent when he has pieces like this. You know, he did it back in San Francisco against the Ravens in that Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. And he's uh, really translating that into an offense that's making Lamar very comfortable. Uh, as far as he goes, he's shown much more willingness to stand back there as a passer. He's improved his mechanics a ton, which is something that people aren't really going to notice. Yeah. Throwing with a wider base. Uh, he's doing different things with arm angles that are helping him a lot back there in the pocket. And he's still a very good runner. And uh, another, you know, big improvement that he's made is he's not taking nearly as much contact as he did last year as a runner, which uh, for all the people that want to bring up the injury thing, I get that it's a real thing. But uh, he's definitely improved as far as not taking those kind of car wreck hits that uh, derailed guys like RG3, uh, who he's now learning from as well. So uh, I think it's a combination of different things. And I mean, listen, man, talent was an issue with this offense last year too. And they bring in some guys, Hollywood Brown, um, Mark Andrews has stepped up in a big way. Hayden Hurst is still there. Nick Boyle is still there. Uh, you also draft miles Boykin in the third round who's shown some things. So, uh, and Mark Ingram too, you can't forget about him. So, uh, you know, talent is, uh, another thing that they were lacking a little bit in the offense. And I think that's helped a big, to, uh, uh, big, you know, piece of the offense as well. I I've said this a lot, Jake. Um, I, I think that John Harbaugh is one of, uh, I, I don't know if you want to call him underrated because he has had success in league, but I've seen him get this team to be competitive and, and really do more with less, uh, not so much this year. I mean, I, the, the Ravens are pretty talented, but especially with the additions you mentioned, but I, I don't know. I, I, there are times where Ravens fans seem to kind of turn on John Harbaugh. You mentioned the development of Lamar Jackson and how that's, you know, on Jackson and the offensive coordinator and all of that, but how much credit is due to John Harbaugh? I mean, it's not, it's not easy to make a quarterback change. He did that in the middle of last year. They, they went, you know, pretty far. They seem to be the front runners to win the division again this year. And they just do everything pretty well. 
right? I mean, they're just across the board, they have the best kicker in the league. But, I mean, they seem to just do everything pretty well. And to me, that's a sign of good coaching from top to bottom. I don't know if there's really a question I'm asking here, but I, I kind of want to gush on John Harbaugh a little bit because I, I, I think he's a good coach, man. And I, I think he just continues to put this team in a good position. Yeah, man. I mean, as far as your comments on him being underrated, I, I'd agree with you to a, cer- a certain extent. And I don't even know if it's him being underrated. I think people realize he's a very good coach, but he's just sort of overshadowed, right? I mean, he's got a brother who's very high profile, you know, a guy who's had a lot of success, doesn't have a Super Bowl ring like him, but that's neither here nor there. Um, you know, you got Mike Tomlin, who's a very similar coach who has had even, you know, a little bit more success in the same division. You've got Bill Belichick, who he's kind of gone back and forth with. But uh, I think the Ravens are sort of an organization where, the logo speaks for itself more than any one name or person. And I think uh, that sort of applies to him. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you didn't necessarily ask any one question there, but I, I would say the, he has, you know, had a huge impact. I was not one of those people that wanted him to get fired uh, last year. And I think, you know, case in point for one of the best coaching jobs of his career last year, when Joe Flacco goes out with injury, they're four and five twisting in the wind. And you're wondering what's going to happen with them. He throws in a rookie quarterback, completely changes the offense on the fly. They go six and one down the stretch and they win the division. And uh, I just think that's a testament to the culture he's built. He, you know, he's not a big X's and O's guy. He's not in there in the offensive meetings like Andy Reid scheming things up. But he's a guy who's able to facilitate all of that happening and uh, doing it in a very cohesive way. So uh, I'm very impressed with him as well. And I'm very glad that they've uh, committed to him long term. So being six and two, being the top of the division, the Ravens are obviously very well rounded, specifically on the offensive end. You guys have a top five offense, I think, according to Football Outsiders. The one area that I think can be exploited, I guess, relatively when you even were talking about the Bengals, is potentially the run defense, and that's I think very important for the Bengals who have the absolute worst run, rushing offense in the NFL, and it didn't really do very much in Week Six against against the Ravens. Um, Back then, I think Mixon didn't have that that very good of a game. But if there was one area on that defense, you know, that the Bengals could exploit, it, it is it is in the run defense, and it is against that front seven, who, in fairness, isn't doing that well at rushing the passer either. So, like like how is really that unit um, adapted to losing some some quality names from last year, like like Terrell Suggs and C.J. Mosley, and how have guys who have really stepped up into their roles have, have adjusted and have tried try to keep that you know, whole unit afloat? I guess. Yeah, well, it's interesting because they went into the season thinking that some of the guys in that front seven, maybe not with the pass rush, but definitely with the middle linebacking core, were going to step up and just none of them did. Um, But what's interesting about that is the run defense actually has stepped up a little bit in the past couple of weeks. And uh, it's due to some additions that they made. They, you know, they ship off Kenny Young, who was one of those young middle linebackers that I mentioned to pick up Peters. So he's out the door. And then uh, Patrick Owasso, uh, who had a good season last year, not for nothing, but he's a young guy and he was not playing well to start the year. So they bring in guys like uh, Josh Hines and LJ Fort, who I don't know if you guys are even familiar with who they are, but uh, yeah, there are a couple journeyman guys. I mean, Bynes was actually on the Ravens 2012 Super Bowl team. I mean, that's how much of a throwback he is for them. And uh, these guys have really stepped up big time in terms of solidifying things on the front seven. Uh, so I would say the run defense the past couple of weeks has turned things around, and that's sort of what has helped them to sort of spur on this defensive renaissance that they're seeing the last couple of weeks. But yeah, the pass rush is definitely not there, man. Uh, you're right on with that. Terrell Suggs is gone. Zadarius Smith is gone and uh, there really isn't anyone that can kind of win a one-on-one matchup. So it's kind of all in the defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale to figure it out. And uh, he's done a decent job with it, I think, but uh, the lack of talent there is pretty glaring. So that would be their one big weakness in my opinion. 
Yeah, Fort uh, had a cup of coffee with the Bengals a couple He's years ago. Every team, man, I looked at it yeah. on the Patriots podcast the other day, and they're like, "Yeah, he was with the Patriots for a you know a preseason." I was like, "Damn, yeah. he was with every team. He was on the Steelers." And the Eagles. <laughs> right. Lamar Jackson actually crossed him up when he was on the Eagles when they practiced together this past summer. So it's like just kind of a funny thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and some of that stuff talks it kind of plays into my comments about Har- Harbaugh earlier. We're talking with Jacob Luke of Baltimore Beatdown, part of the SB Nation net- Network, previewing Week 10. Let's talk more specifically about the upcoming game itself. Uh, you know, John mentioned a potential area that – could be exploited maybe on the Baltimore's and uh, Baltimore's defense. I'm seeing some comments from our live listeners saying, you know, could it be that Baltimore comes out flat road game? They come off a big win against new England on a, some, a little bit of a shorter week. Um, I, you know, it, it new quarterback for the Bengals, not a lot of film on him and at least not NFL film. I don't know. I mean, it sounds silly for me to ask, being that the Bengals are 0-8, but I mean, does this have any kind of trap game, especially with some of the success the Bengals have had against the Ravens in, in recent years? Does this worry you at all in terms of a possible trap game? Definitely, man. I mean, it's, you know, crazy to think about looking, you know, from the outside looking in on, you know, this organization and this fan base, but we've seen it happen before with this team. I mean, you could even consider that Cleveland game in week four a trap game. They came out totally flat after starting out 2-1. and one. It's 2-2. Two and two, and they go to two and two and the season's not looking so good. And they thankfully turn it around since then. But uh, this is a team that you mentioned Harbaugh and he is a guy that tends to go on an emotional roller coaster throughout the season. And uh, he tends to get his guys really fired up for the big games. And I think conversely that can have a negative effect for the games that maybe aren't necessarily as big. So I think for it not to be a sort of trap game, uh, he's going to have to come out big time and, you know, kind of drill it and instill it into these guys that uh, you need to bring it each and every single week if you want to be a dominant team in this league. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and it is tough. You're bringing in Finley. There's no NFL tape on him. I was watching a little bit of his preseason uh, highlights earlier today, and he's a guy who I think is uh, he's elusive against pressure, or at least he was against uh, the guys in the preseason, and uh, he seems to have a good pocket presence to him and maybe poise if you want to call it that i feel like that's kind of an overrated you know overused term but uh he's a guy who i think uh definitely is going to be in the league for a long time i don't know in, in what capacity but uh, i guess we're going to find out on sunday and zach taylor came from sean mcveigh not for nothing so uh you know if you know i could definitely see it turning into if not a win for the Bengals, a very close game in which the ravens get out of since the uh you know feeling a little lucky to have gotten one no. So we talked a little bit um, before you came on about, about A.J. Green, and he's, I guess, up in the air for this game. Just r- real quick, as a as a Ravens fan, which player do you despise more, A.J. Green or Tyler Boyd? Um, I can't hate A.J. Green, man. Uh, he's just such a good dude and an amazing player to watch. He's destroyed my favorite team over the years, which really sucks. But uh, And I really don't hate Boyd either. I mean, you know, that play. Not even for that one play? You know what, dude? That play got us Lamar Jackson. So, you know, uh, damn. Uh, yeah, I mean, if they make damn, the playoffs that year with Joe Flacco, they're probably not drafting Jackson. So, uh, you know, I, that's the way I've at least spin zoned it in my head. Well, uh, even when the Baltimore Ravens lose, they still win. I don't know. Whereas, about that, at least in that scenario. That whereas when the Bengals win, win, they lose. So, <laughs> that's interesting how that all works out. Uh, Jacob Luke with Baltimore Beatdown, SB Nation's Baltimore Ravens website joining us. Uh, good to have you back on the show, man. Before we get you out of here, uh, what, what, 
I think you kind of said prediction. You think it might be somewhat closer than than people think. Uh, if you've got a score prediction, we'll take it. Um, we'll also like to hear where people can hear your stuff, read your stuff, all that good, good stuff. Yeah, sure. Stuff, so, stuff, stuff, stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to get into that stuff, score prediction, I'd probably go uh, an ugly Ravens win about 23, 15, a lot of field Ooh. goals. Uh, the Ravens do not cover the, I think 10 point spread it is right now. Um, and yeah, like I said, they get out of there at seven and two happy to be where they are. Um, yeah. So that's what I would say as far as working, you can, can find us on SB Nation. Uh, it's BaltimoreBeatdown.com is the domain if you want to check any of our stuff out ahead of the uh, game leading up uh, to this weekend. You can find our show. It's just the Baltimore Beatdown podcast on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your stuff. So, uh, yeah, tune in. We're going to have Anthony on uh, real quick after this if you want to keep hearing his beautiful voice. And uh, we really appreciate you guys. And uh, tank for Tua, right? I, uh, well, tank for somebody. <laughs> tank for somebody. Yeah, right. uh, yeah I, I, will t- I will talk to you in a few minutes, my friend. Absolutely. That's All good. right. They, uh, thanks for coming on, Jake. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we'll we'll uh, definitely get your info out there for our readers and listeners to, to check your stuff out. But uh, talk to you soon, bud. Good deal. Appreciate it, guys. All right. That was Jacob Luke of Baltimore Beatdown, the SB Nation, Baltimore Ravens site. Uh, go check out their podcast. Go check out everything they're doing over there, especially this week and, and really at least twice a year because the Bengals – Play them twice a year and uh, obviously an interdivision rival. So may want to just kind of check them out to keep keep tabs on things going on over in Baltimore. What a show this evening. We've had two guests. Uh, the show has kind of flown by. We're going to get out of here in just a minute. Uh, that interview, again, was brought to you by Costa Bell Realty Group, the Southern California real estate experts. So go to costabellrealtygroup.com to get information on Southern California, the Southern California real estate market information, all of that good stuff. Check out their website. If you're in the area and you happen to listen to this podcast, if you are out of the area and are looking to relocate to Southern California, definitely take advantage of their services. John, before we get out of here, man. It's been a it's been a calendar week for Bengals franchise quarterbacks, has it not? Um, yes, it has. I am not going to mention number fourteen because the, anytime we talk we about enough that, and anytime we seem to mention him on a show, we get comments about how how mean we are to him. So I'm not going to talk about him. We're going to talk about his predecessor, Carson Palmer. Oh, because he's definitely more liked than. Oh, well, of course, yes. Uh, look. I think by now everybody kind of knows the infamous quotes he has said over he said recently in a in a podcast I, I think it was through Colin Cowherd's network or it was with a different host but yeah um I I guess your thoughts on it I mean kind of to to top I, to me well your thoughts your thoughts so I mean it's been eight years of this, and it's no, it's none of the information that um, CP9 has said is is false, and that's I think the most important thing about it. It's like, yeah, it's true, and I think most Bengals fans who have a brain know it, and definitely most people who follow the NFL know these things to be true about the Bengals. So I can't fault him for speaking the truth, but at, at some point, man, like we, we like we get it. Like we get it, and I and I know that like he's being asked to be to go on these shows and talk about it, and he has more experience with the Bengals organization than most other quarterbacks do, obviously. 
But at the same time, man, like we, we don't need to be hammered down with this information. We, we know this, you know, this, it's just known facts. Let's just go ahead and move on at this point. Right. I, I find it interesting that, you know, Carson kind of took the high road while he was still playing in terms of, I don't want to talk about this. I'm not going to throw the organization under the bus. I'm just going to move on. He didn't say anything publicly about it. He just kind of moved on. Um, I, it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with anything he says really. Cause you can't, cause it's, it, it's right. It's right. I mean, Jim Quinn, our other, he just shared a story at the beginning of the episode about Mike Brown that kind of says it all about the organization. Right. So it's hard to sit here and go, oh, Carson, you're such a liar or whatever. My my thing that I that kind of took a little bit of a validity hit in his comments was talking about the, the preeminent franchises and how they are run in the Oakland Raiders and the Arizona Cardinals. Sorry. Those aren't two very well-run organizations in the NFL either. That's where I took a little bit of an issue. Granted, the Cardinals have stepped up and put him in their ring of honor. They did that this year, and they apparently treated him very well. Um, he had more success with Arizona in terms of postseason wins and whatnot than he did in Cincinnati. But let's not pretend that those two are the shining beacon of NFL success and or how to run an NFL franchise. They have had their share of dysfunction. Yeah, and I think it's all it's all relative, right? Because like, and his main comments about those two teams were like they understood the the the, the, fa- the facet of just supplementing your team with quality for agent talent, and they were aggressive in that approach. So yeah, yeah, like the Raiders and Cardinals are not the beacons of, of of hope for NFL franchises, but when you compare them to the Bengals, everything's relative, right? And what Palmer's main qualms with the Bengals were that's where the Raiders and Cardinals relative to the Bengals standards stepped up. And that's why he ended up having success in Arizona because they ended up building a good team around him. So it, it, when you, when you're treated that well, you're going to end up saying nice things, especially compared to your ex and that. And that yeah. Sense. Yeah. And I just, you know, to kind of put a ribbon on this thing, cause I, you know, we got to get out of here and I, I don't want to belabor this, but it's just interesting to see how Carson went from, I'm not talking about this to, then doing kind of the football life thing where he talked a little bit about it. Then if you remember, John, there was the interview, I believe, when the Bengals hired Zach Taylor where he kind of made a little jab saying, good luck to him. That's a tough organization to work for. And then he raked him over the coals, um, you know, in this interview. So it's just kind of interesting to see the evolution or de-evolution, I guess, of, uh, you know, his opinion of the team and and how he's openly aired them. Look, it's not stuff – some of which we – we knew, if not a lot of it or, or all of it, uh, it's not surprising that it came from him, I guess, in some ways. But, um, you know, it was just kind of a, an unloading and uh, a little bit of gasoline on the fire. That is an 0-8 season in the start to the Zach Taylor era. And we would be remiss if we did not bring that up in some fashion. We're going to get out of here, though. John, If you're unless you got anything else you want to talk about with Carson Carson's war, uh, war of words. <laughs> uh, CP9 is of the past, but this Ravens game is of the future, and Anthony is about to be on a podcast of his own. But I actually had the the um, I had I had the luck of being on a, my uh, a Ravens podcast of a different one. It's called Charm City Birdwatch. Okay. Recorded a couple days ago, and it was just actually uploaded just now. I will retweet it onto my timeline. But Jake Jake McDonald had me on for about 15, 20 minutes previewing the game. So definitely cool. check that out. Give those guys a listen. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks. Uh, it's good that that. 
you know, we're kind of expanding our reach and uh, that's part of what we do here with these matchups. You know, we want to go on other, other shows and have people on our shows to kind of get a look over the other side of the fence. That's what it's about. want to thank our special guest this week. We have Jim Quinn, author and uh, well, attorney and author of the book. Don't be afraid to win how free agency changed the business of pro sports. Go get that book. It's awesome. I'm telling you it's awesome. I wouldn't have him on and I wouldn't be pumping it as much as I am. If I didn't find it to be an enjoyable read, go, go get that. Especially if you're a, a bookworm, go get that book. Uh, appreciate him coming on. Appreciate Jacob Luke from SB Nation's Baltimore Beatdown coming to, coming on the show to preview week 10. This has been the Orange and Black Insider. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Now on iHeartRadio. It's also on YouTube, the Megaphone platform, and CincyJungle.com. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our channels. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll probably get to some listener questions this Friday, too. So send those our way again for a Friday afternoon session if you want to kick off your weekend. We'll see you then. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.